Pull up a chair, make yourselves comfy, and let's talk guitars. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome to another episode of Acoustic Guitar I.O. I'm Cam's your host, and today I'm bringing you a conversation that I recorded back in 2019. I know, right? <laughs> it's been a while. I recorded this interview at the Acoustic Soundboard UK Annual Guitar Gathering in September of 2019, which takes place in Halifax in Yorkshire. And this is a conversation I recorded with an old friend of mine called Chris Stern. Chris has a fantastic collection of guitars. And at the gathering in Halifax, he had with him quite a handful, let's just say that. A few from Ralph Bowne, a couple from James Olson, a bunch of great guitars. And so he and I sat down in the restaurant one Sunday morning and had a nice conversation about music and guitars and all that fun stuff. So sit back and enjoy the conversation. So, guitars, music. Yes. You said you'd been singing for 50 years. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I was, I was, because my mother, uh, I was singing before I could walk. Right. Uh, so I just, just, you know, I think you're born to do something, aren't you? Like, and I was born to sing. Yeah. And was it the singing that, that came first then? Is, is yeah, I think, yeah. Um, that's a good question. Yeah, I think, uh, I don't know, I, I was one of the Beatles generation. So, when I was 10, my aunt and uncle, who were a lot better off than my family, they moved house and they gave me an old wind-up record player and a, and a this great big pile of 78 records. And I was quite a shy kid. And uh, so I, in my bedroom with my hamster, I used to play all these 78 records. And the days you're supposed to change the needle every time. You know, you made right. tins of needles and you put the needle yeah. up the gramophone thing. And, uh, I mean, really what you would do is you'd get a pen and you'd, you'd instinct, you'd hold a pen and you could hear it playing the music. Uh, but there was... There was like Gracie Fields and Miss Beethoven, Gracie Fields, my favourite piece of music, which is Jesus Joy Man's Desirings on the piano, piano version of that was on one of them. Uh, there was, and there was Lonnie Donegan, Rock Island Line and all that stuff, uh, Teddy Bear's Picnic, uh, and I had a, a 78 of Tommy Steele. Uh, my first record when I was seven years old was a Tommy Steele record. And I think that was... I just I've always loved lots of different music. And that's that part. I had all this music that I listened to, and I loved all the. I like nice melodies, you know, and, and lovely pieces of music. So I was lucky to have all that to get me. Not the ten years old, nine years, nine, ten, yeah, ten years old, and then the following, and then all the Beatles came out. No, mm. not that came about as well. And and uh, the, and then I was off, and Dylan. I remember the first time I heard Bob Dylan. I couldn't believe it. I, mean, I, think I wasn't very old, but I remember the back of my neck going up, hairs going up when this guy was singing the times are changing. Yeah. And, it, and that sounded like a big orchestra to me. It was one guy with a harmonica and a guitar. Can't gather around people. And then it was Paul Simon and Simon and Garfunkel. It was, it was a singing act, yeah, the harmonies and the singing. I don't think, much as I, you know, I, I love uh, uh, instrumentalists a lot. I, I was driven. I mean, not even. I'm not even much of a song. I do write songs, but my love has always been to sing. I mean, like the album I'm working on now. Uh, I think I'm, I'm playing banjo on two tracks and guitar on two out of about 16 tracks we've recorded, because the people I'm working with are so good, and I've got it enables me to do stuff I would never dream doing. Yeah, okay. 
So yeah, so singing, singing is is the first love. Uh, and then I do like. I mean, I play guitar for hours, uh, and I love and I've got a massive guitar collection. Really, <laughs> uh, Chris. But singing, yeah, singing is what you give me a choice. That's what I do first. Yeah. And, and I've learned that having been a lifetime singer and guitar player live, been working with the band recently. Uh, I mean, some of these guys are top musicians, you know, nationally known, and. and for me to stand up and sing a song that I really love the words and the tune of and not have to worry about what my hands are doing means I can think a lot more about how to put the song over and how to get the timing right and the high notes clear and things so it's quite liberating and so how did the guitar come into the frame? Um, well, Bob Dylan Bob Dylan. Be- well, Beatles, Beatles and then Bob yeah. Dylan I mean Beatles, you know, they used a lot of acoustic guitar uh, I thought I'd, 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 the early, well, middle, mid, mid era Beatles, well, even sat the hard days and night, there was a lot of acoustic guitar in it. And then I was rubber soul, you know, uh, Norwegian wood, all those girl, girl, you know, Norwegian wood. Uh, I'm looking through you, it was a lovely acoustic guitar bit at the beginning of that. Do, 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 yeah. yeah. I just had always loved the acoustic guitar, so that's what, that's when the road went down, and, that's, and I. You know, you start out with beginners guitars that were crap. Uh, but then as soon as I started working, I, you know, I got I bought Echo guitars originally, and then I moved. Then I bought a Gibson J50, half a year's pay it was at the time. When, and when I was 19, I bought that. So then I just got into acoustic guitars, and uh, I love the sound of great acoustic guitars. So I built a collection of a hope, you know that. Is, is by chance, but they are correct. I mean, the old awesome that I was playing last night, you know, really unbelievably wonderful sounding guitars. Yeah. yeah so that's that's where it comes from. Did you grow up in the north of England? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, well, yeah. yeah, I grew up uh, in teenage years in Scarborough. Right. I can claim to be the one person I think ever that has had a, a personal conversation with Paul Simon at a dinner, and he asked me where I came from, and I said to him. Actually, Paul, I come from Scarborough. It's not Scarborough, you know. And I thought, oops. And he went, he went oh, <laughs> so I got away with that one. So it must have been quite difficult in that part of the country to find yeah. nice guitars. Well, in those days, I mean, you didn't. You know, a lot of people. It's like you see people now going in shops and playing a lot, a hell of a lot, thousands of pounds for factory built guitars when you know that they could buy something by a, a hand build a lot better if they knew. But then in, in the 70s, early 70s, my friend bought a Gibson Les Paul. So I went back to the same shop in Scarborough the next week and bought a Gibson J50 because Aye. I didn't even know about Martins really in those days. And the, the 1970s Martins weren't great, but there weren't, there weren't Lucy's around at that time. Yeah. It was the late 70s, I think, that started over here with uh, Andy Manson, mm-hmm. uh, Rob Armstrong. And he's still Na- building, Na- isn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, Nigel Thornbury. Uh, I think they were the only ones here. And it didn't really get going in a big way until, I think, really, Jim Olsen and James Taylor. That was when it all, the lid blew off it all, I think, and it all became a big thing. And that was 1989. So, to the point where we got to now where, in, I think, in some respect, it's become a, you know, it's, it's a bandwagon thing. 
and lots of people building guitars. I'm, in the States, I'm not quite sure how they make any money doing it, but there are a lot of people building guitars. Mm. Yeah, I've been interested in high-end acoustics since about 2001, mm. and even since then I've seen a lot of changes. Well, I had this Gibson for 20 years, and uh, you don't, you've got, when you've got nothing to judge it by, you, you, you think you've got a great guitar. And in fact, I mean, I did, you know, the, uh, even BBC, when I did a BBC concert once, and the following day on a folk programme, they were talking about my, the great sound I got out of the guitar, which made me laugh. But this was a, this was a Gibson, and it was, it was 20, 19 years old then, so I guess I mean, it had been played to a point where all the finishes all one off the neck and, and uh, there were scratches all over it. When, it, when I, it, I traded it in eventually, and the shop that I traded it in sold it in two days, so obviously... Yeah. A, but, I, but I bought a... Thanks to a Doogie McLean conversation, I, I bought a Taylor 812, which is a little grand concert, from a shop all the way up in Elgin. Oh, right. and uh, And that just changed the whole my whole concept, because suddenly I got this guitar that had got a really nice balanced sound right across... You know, all the trebles all suddenly came out, because the J50 was so bass-heavy, clunky, really. And uh, within months, everyone was saying to me, oh, yeah, your guitar style's changed a lot. What happened? And that really was the eye-opener. And, and Taylor, in those days, didn't make many lines. They had the fives that were mahogany, sixes were maple. This is the, the, the first number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Five, six, six mahogany. Seven was Indian rosewood. Eight was better Indian rosewood. Nine was even better Indian rosewood. But it was logical. So you, you could think, oh, well, and then, then so you could try the different guitars and remember what they were because of the numbers that you were trying. So that taught me about, you know, to think about, well, I mean, they didn't even know what the JF was made of, it was my guitar. Right. So that then, then you know, as the 90s went on, that was 91, I just kind of started, I bought a couple more tailors at the time. But then, you know, you, 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 like you did in 2001, you started developing knowledge, don't you, of what you like. Because again, Taylor had this tens were dreadnoughts, twelves were little grand concerts. Four, then they brought the fourteens out, which were grand auditorium, and the fifteens were jumbos. And it, and I've suddenly learned that what you know, it made because of the way they, their system worked and the way my brain works, I knew that a size twelve yeah. grand concert in, in Rosewood was the sound I liked. The best that worked best for me, and and that was really helpful. I moved on from Taylor guitars largely you now, but that was at the time that was very helpful. And then I started, you know, as I thought, I'm, trying, I, I'm not sure whether, I think an Olsen, Olsen Dreadnought was the first uh, hand-built guitar I bought, about 2000. So the first really expensive guitar I got was a, a Martin OM42 PS Paul Sand, which I paid $5,000 for in the US. And that, that was amazing. What year are we talking? Uh, to 19, January 98. All right, OK. And... Uh, that was when the pound was about 170 or something like that, so it was only about 3,000 3, British pounds. Yeah. Which, that, which seemed like an incredible amount of money then. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. And then it was after that, you know, I got in Olsen's, and then I, I, I don't know, I can't remember, I've had so many guitars over the years. And Olsen's, uh, I've done a lot, load, lots of different guitar builders. You, know, you, you, you learn over the years, you, begin, you must have said, you, you were... Uh, Get to know who you like, and, yeah. and and you know. Now I've got my favourites now, which are Jim Olsen, still Ralph Bowne, my, my good friend in New York, one of the world's best guitarists, an hour away from here. Kathy uh, Wingate, mm-hmm. and and, uh, and a guy called Jamie Kinshaw in Texas. Jamie was the one that really opened my eyes to create guitars. 
and he's not very well known over here. Although he's been, you might have, he's been over to the, the RMGA gallery. I haven't met him. No. But Jamie, Jamie was uh, instrumental, I think, in. in, in I bought a guitar. I was in Mandolin Brothers, which is sadly gone now in Staten Island, and, and they used to have this big sort of—it's like a big house—and they had all the different rooms full of high-end acoustic guitars. And you could just wander in there, and they left you alone. You know, you had to go for the day. And then one particular day, uh, I'd, well, actually, no, I'm, I'm getting things out of context. The big thing in, was for me was actually going back to 2000. I was living in Jacksonville, and there was a an organisation called Asia, the Association of Strings Instrument Artisans, and which you know, guitar built with Lucy's, and they had a symposium in Nashville in 2000. So I drove from Jacksonville up to that, That's and it was Florida, over the week. Jacksonville, and, Florida. Yeah, yeah, it was about 12-hour drive, and I was and I was there for a week, and then I walked in, and, and at that time I had two used Olsons, but I knew I'd put Jim on the phone, and I walked in the first bit of bumped in with Jim Olson, and he said. I so thought, here's a guest pass, we can be my guest for the week. So I got into everything, mm. and I had dinner every night with him, Kevin Ryan, uh, David Eckelbaum, yeah. and uh, Peter Granata, and Tom Anderson, Anderson, Blacktop, and Archdots. And I couldn't believe it, there I am, you know, every night. So when anybody asks me, it starts telling me about how Jim Olsen got to be James Taylor, guitar builder, I can put them right, and they'll say, how do you know? So because Jim Olsen told me, sat next to me in my car, <laughs> driving along, <laughs> you know, and t- telling the story. So I know all the facts about that. But that's, that, was, that was that symposium, actually, that really, because I played so many guitars there, and, and out of hundreds that were there, there, there were about three or four that I played, and I can tell that they stood out for me. There was a Harvey Leach guitar, uh, there was, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, there was, Jamie Kinchup was actually at that, and I didn't, I didn't, I, play, I don't remember playing the guitars, I've still got a pick that picture, the Jim Olsen obviously, um, and there was one other, I can't think of the name at the moment, it'll come to me, that, uh, um, Mark Blanchard. Oh yeah, yeah, Bristlecorn, mm-hmm. yeah, that was really nice as well. So I learned by being, a, it was a week long, so you had time to play all these different guitars. I learned from that what was all the difference and different, met all the different builders. Some of them, still, a lot of them, I'm still friends with. Yeah. And there was a really funny story out of that, that there was a, it was in the, the actual thing itself was in the Sheraton Music City, massive big hotel, with a massive big lobby. And on the last night, one last night, there was a, there was a jam session in the lobby. So I went along and, and it, it ended up, and me doing the singing if you ask me about singing yeah. I ended up doing all the singing and I, because I did Buddy Holly stuff and all that and so and next to this guy who played lead guitar I don't know where he was and he played lead guitar and we had a fantastic and there was loads of people there and it was bloody, oh no, one of life's unforgettable nights and about I don't know three or four years later uh, I was looking in this book and I thought oh there's that guy that sang lead, played lead guitar for me that night in there. it was Dick Boke Really? From Martin, wow. yeah. Yes, yeah, so I emailed him. I said, I had, and we'd exchange emails about other things. Because I'd got some some pics for the, the ports and Martin from him, some special petrol. Yeah. And I said, remember, remember singing, playing lead guitar for a guy, singing songs? I said, that was me. So oh, that was a great night. You knew all those old songs. <laughs> and I didn't realise who it was, you know, the famous Dick Boke. Yeah. <laughs> I had no idea. So anyway, so we jumped So then, I, years later, 2000, I had quite a few different guitars. Uh, and 
and then um, 2005 actually was, I was in Mandin Brothers trying all these different guitars out and, I, and I've been there hours and hours and hours and I just in one of these small rooms I picked up this guitar that had the most amazing uh, wood it was actually Madagascar rose wood but it was really figured and it's quite a big body picture and planet. and I said, who the hell built this? It was so amazing. So it was a kinship. And I, at that point, I was, I'd actually bought a guitar, so I couldn't buy it. And uh, this, this kinship stuck in my mind. I put the picture on my desktop, my computer for ages, and it sold. So then I, and a couple of years later, I got a chance to buy a second-hand one from somebody in Seattle. So I bought that, and I really liked it. So I phoned up Jamie Kinship. And, and you know how I, I sing from my soul. Yeah, you do. So I rang... I rang uh, Jamie Kinshaw said, and see, that's true. First words. I said, hi, it's Christian. I bought one of your guitars. All right, okay. I said, Jim, tell me something. Where do you build your guitars from? And he said, my soul. I said, yeah, I said, that's where I sing from. I can tell. And so Jamie then asked me, said, why did you come over in October? This was in, I can't remember, then summer sometime. They went to this gathering in, in, in Texas of RMGA. Yes, uh-huh. And, it, and also it was a week after the Arlington Guitar Show where he was just he was displaying so I went over to that and I've been going ever since that was 2007 I'm going again two weeks time so okay. but out of that then I spent I got a lot of links with, with other builders and and uh, you know I mean now I've got lots of I've been doing some work for Calton cases so I do know heck of a lot of builders that's how I got them to work for Calton because literally I knew so many people that mm. I for a while was their link between Luthiers and, and the company so that's my that's how I got into guitars. I've got a long windy way of saying how yeah. I got into guitars. So have you ever custom ordered a guitar? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The first Peter Granata built the first one. Who? Peter Granata, he's a builder in New Jersey. Oh. He was at one of that two two thousand at the same when I went to that symposium we all spent the week together. Oh. And uh, so I, I had that for quite a few years. It was very small and the net didn't work for me. And then I've had oh god, you think Kathy Wingert built me a guitar? Uh, anybody wants to see that to, to search on the Holy Grail Guitar Show 2015 okay. it was on display there uh, Ralph has built me uh, one so far I think Jamie, Jamie's built me two actually, uh, a 12 string and a, and a baritone Ralph has built me one and uh, um, Ralph, Ralph built me one and I've got one in order to go with the eight I've already got <laughs> I'm wary of having guitars built for me because, well, if I do, I just say to the builder, build what you want, if they know what I do. I mean, I mentioned Harvey Leach uh, earlier at that show. Harvey handed me a guitar, having seen me play, and said, I think you'll like this guitar. And it was fantastic. I would have bought it if I had the money. And I think if you are... I'm not worried about aesthetics. I'm worried about sound. You know, when I pick a guitar up... uh, I'm looking for an instrument that will make me sing better. And, well, we heard it last night when I did uh, Old Friends Bookends on the Olsen. That, that sound is so, to my ears, is so sweet and so love that it makes you want to really draw every note out of, of what you're singing. So, ordering a guitar, you know, people say, I want, you know, I'd like a guitar and I want it in this top. You know, I want it in German spruce and I want it yeah. in... Uh, Hookabolo, and I want you know, and I want these tuners, and I want all these different things. For me, if I love the sound of that Luthier's guitars, 
did it, I did it, I did it with Kat, I did it with Jamie, I did it with Kathy, and I did it with Val. I just say to them, look, I know what size I'd like, just build it, you know. And, and, and I know I, I like a rosewood, whatever it is, but you build whatever you think. And with Kathy, it was hilarious because I wanted a Model E, which is a small model, and she's mm-hmm. seen me play a few times. I'm building you a Model F. I said, I want me, I am building you an F. I said, Kathy, I want any, no. And F is better for you. And I went, all right. And then she was right. You know, it was quite funny. I said, I'm the purchaser. You're telling me you won't build it what I want. Uh, and then uh, with Ralph, uh, we, are, we spent a long time discussing what top to have. He, it was the most amazing Brazilian wood. I mean, that's why we, I was talking about it. That, yeah. You know, Ralph has said this is a really extraordinary piece of Brazilian. He'd had it for 30 years or whatever. But I said I would like an Adirondack top. And, and Ralph said, I've got some really nice stickers that I'd like to put on it. And I was actually at Kathy's in, in California, staying her place, and, and uh, she had some stuff in that she'd got to, as a sale or return, and there was some really nice Adirondack in it. And we actually pulled out a piece that I could bring home. And then I just said, no, I said, no, I'm not doing this. I said, I trust Ralph's judgment. Ralph builds, Ralph's the builder. You know, I know what my ears here, but I, I trust the builder to build what they think is right and that's well, that's what I do I just build me one that's mine you know build one you think that I like yeah. and then and, and when I've said that people Ralph, I mean, another friend of mine an American friend of mine Al Sato who plays lead guitar for me sometimes he's the only one from Ralph and he just said to Ralph look Ralph just, I want you to build whatever you, you think I'd like I don't care what size it is or whatever you, you know, I'll pay for it build me a guitar and Ralph was over the moon and said oh great you know but I know, right, it'll be simple. Mm. But I think, you know, the more you specify what you think you want, the more chance there is of not getting the sound that you want. Depends what your priority is. One of my kinship guitars I've got is a small body one. And uh, it's a beautiful... Johnny Mos- Moscow's got it. Johnny, oh, yeah. John, Johnny Moscow's yeah. got it, borrowed it at the moment because he's got shoulder problems. And he absolutely loves it. But I played it for a friend of mine some years ago, and uh, it's always a great sound. I can never own it though. I said, Why can't you own it? He said, They don't like the shape of the tuners. He said, They're too big. And I looked and I said, And they'll go to a 510 full size. I said, well, I mean, you can make them minutes. I just said, I'd never know. And I never had, I said, I never noticed. Because I'd never thought about it. I just knew that when I picked this guitar up, it sounded great. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't like blingy guitars, but I'm not. Who cares? I want something that, when I'm performing, does everything I want it to do. Stays in tune, sounds great, does everything I want to do, makes me, me want to sing better. And whether it's got big tuners, little tuners, it's got the, 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 the Lord's Prayer up the neck, or whatever, I've got, I've got cracks and, you know, and things, who the hell cares? Yeah. You know, I always say to people, that, you know, that'll look good on the CD, won't it? You know, you know <laughs> what, what does it sound like? The first time I heard an Ulster guitar was on James Taylor's live album. And, you know, the first track is in 1993, I think, and the first track was Sweet Baby James, and he started, and I put it on, and I thought, I literally said, who the hell built that guitar? And that, they're like, oh, what a sound. And actually, I, I got a brochure from Jim Olsen, and his, his price then was $2,995. And that was about 1,800 quid. Yeah. But I don't, you know, it's, I, I just want a guitar that sounds great. Uh, and there are, you know, there are lots of really, really good guitars. What you're looking for is just that there's a spark about some of them that, for me as a singer, is yeah. 
a catalyst to singing really well. That's interesting you said on our first night when I was looking through your your stand and your collection that you thought we were on similar wavelengths. Yeah, yeah I think so, definitely. And yeah, just yeah, listened yeah. to you speak there. Yeah, yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah, I've got my, I used to have a Kim Walker as my desktop screensaver yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah. And uh, when that came about through a meeting with John Thomas. Yeah, yeah. And John has, I think he has three Kim Walker guitars now. And I played one and within... 30 seconds I knew I was going to put my name down but then that whole thing came around of trying to communicate I mean I'd never met Kim Kim had never seen me play that's that's, I think that's the key is yeah if when that Harvey Lynch guitar I said to her how the hell did you know that was me? I had no idea at that time it was small bodied I thought I remember small bodied it was one that had been shipped or something got damaged so we had to re-top it Brazilian small body guitar and it was just gorgeous and, it, and I just wanted I just wanted I think there were three categories of guitar um, I went over to to New Zealand and did some gigs in 2000 and, and 2005 and I took with me a Gallagher small body Gallagher guitar and uh, and when I came home I, I sold it straight away because it was just a box it did everything Mm. But it, it was just a box that did nothing either. You know, to my, for me, it was, the notes were all in the right place. It stayed in tune. It was, but it just had no, nothing for me. I bought it from John Pierce actually as well. You know, John yeah. Pierce strings. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's that sort of guitar that you can pick up, play, and put it down and never see it again. Then don't give us. Then there's a, a guitar you, you you play with uh, live and you forget you've got a guitar in your hand. You know, because you, you, they're not concentrating on the words because it's so easy to play it and the sound is so nice that I'm not aware that I'm playing it. Uh, uh, and so, the, so the, the neck shape is good, the, the width of the neck is right, is good, and it, you know, and it, it just really makes it easy to play and enjoyable. To, and I'm enjoying the sound. Then the third category, which sometimes is the second one, is you pick a guitar up and immediately start playing tunes. Your, your head goes into yeah. writing stuff. Yeah. And where that comes from, I have no idea. Uh, and that's the, that's interesting, you know. And some of the, I've got guitars at home that I can't put down at home, but but I wouldn't uh, tour I wouldn't tour with them or gig with them much because they're not that sort of guitar. When I, when I go out to gig, I'll take a an OM or something. If it's one one guitar gig, I'll take an OM because that does everything. Yeah. If it's if it's you know, I'm taking two or three guitars, I'll take a small body dinner and then an OM probably. And the banjo as well. What body size is the Olsen that you played? Um, that is smaller than double O, bigger than O. It's not. It's, it doesn't follow Martin. Right. Okay. Sizes. It's just. I mean, Ralph when he saw it said, "Oh, I don't like that. It should be. It should, it should be a slotted headstock and a much smaller bridge." I said, "Yeah, but it's not a bound guitar, Ralph." It's a, it's a Jim Olsen one, you know. Because Ralph is very traditional, like, you know, Martin, if it's, yeah. you know, an O or a double O, if it's 12 right, you have a sausage head stock. Yeah. So, but, but that's that's a really nice guitar, isn't it? No, it really suits your yeah. voice, the songs. It, it's frighteningly valuable. Yeah. Scarily, if you'd have said to me that I'd have a guitar with that, that would, that would be unbelievable, that is. And I know when Jim's told me that's 23 years old, and I know from Jim where he got the wood from. Uh, some woodyard in Mexico. They bought, I think he said he bought 20 sets from a deceased, the deceased uh, wood, woodman's 
place. Yeah. And the, most of it was crap, but that was World Cup and Setsi out of it, and that was one of them. And they certainly worked. Not, but it's been not looked after greatly though, because Rosie noticed it. It's got it's got finish cracks on the top, and I mean it looks like somebody's had it somewhere where it's gone very in America where you got the extreme. It's gone cold yeah. and the top's yeah. sunk, and and, and it's uh, and then it's it, it's gone very dry, and then it's it's hydrated. She says it's, Rosie says it's fine, but it's it's hydrated again and come up, so yeah. it's, it's a little bit sunk, but it's okay. Yeah. And that's probably what did it, you know. I mean, it doesn't matter to me, who cares? It just sounds fantastic. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, I think older guitars, if they've got battle scars, that's character. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, I've got some really, my oldest guitar is 170 years old, uh, 1840s Martin, you know, and it's, a, it's in a, what they call a coffin case. Yeah, absolutely. And it's got Sister Teresa's name, stamp, stamp, stencil on the side of it. And everybody wants to know who the hell the sister Teresa was about this guitar, hundred and something years ago. The, the case is about is a bit new and eighteen sixty odd, but even so, somebody had that guitar in that case a very long time ago. And you'd love to know what they did, where they were, who they were. And I have another one from eighteen sixty, early eighteen sixties. Size they still build a size two. And two twenty seven, and uh, that's a gorgeous guitar. I've played a 217. Yeah, well, this, is, this is a 227. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, I like to look inside them, take pictures inside. You like that with all this stuff, because you can see where all those years ago somebody used the chisels and, mm. you know, you think, what the hell happened to the people that built this? And, I mean, that time, I mean, the, the, Martin started having the different sizes around that time, 1850s, 1860s. And they're still using them. Yeah. You know, they all, they, there was a there was a five with a small. There's somebody's here with a five, a little five, uh, uh, tenor guitar, and then you know, there's a built five, four, three, two, one, and then the the old was a big one, and then they were double O and triple O. But that old system they started then is still in use. So it's quite. I did actually. I met Mr. Chris Martin at the Nam show, and that's first words from where, you know, I said, "Nice to meet you." I said, "Your family's meant a hell of a lot to a hell of a lot of people." Because you know, where, without the Martin Guitar Company, where would music be now? Because they really invented the acoustic guitar. That's a good question. You know, and everybody's you know we're all playing. You know, most people's guitars are a variation on a on a on a. Well, they got as they got bigger. You know, they, they, it was Martin that invented the headstock expression. Was it Martin thing? And the whole shape of guitars, and you know, and. and Whenever you, you said to me, well, what size is that? Is the mm. Olsen? Well, it's Jim Olsen's parlor, but, you know, we can refer, refer, reference it to somewhere between an O and a double O Martin yeah. that was designed for 100 and odd years ago. I think I love that. I think that's amazing yeah. to have that, that link with, you know, that people somehow, to me, people take a few bits of wood, you know, little thin bits of wood, away, but nuts are nothing. And they turn them into instruments. It sounds so amazing. The mandolins as well, banjos. I just, you know, for someone said, "What's the greatest thing you ever had in your life?" I think that having my hands on the instrument, you know, a few bits of wood that somebody's converted into this unbelievable, uplifting, rainbow-like sound. I, I just want to. If people don't understand that, I, just, I think they've got it's a big loss in their life. Yeah. And well, I'm not into electrified, electric guitars much, I think, because it, it's not the same. That's 
you know, a big scrapey electric noise, metallic noise isn't the same as a really, really lovely acoustic guitar. I did a, I've done some work with a, a quartet from Halley Orchestra for my new album. And uh, we were over, they, they was overdubbed onto the piano vocal track. Uh, and, and we were in the studio, and I was in the control room. And, and this amazing sound. There were two, there was a first and second violin and a viola and a cello. And one particular violin uh, this girl was playing, I just, oh, you could tell it was like, amazingly sweet sound. So I asked her afterwards, I said, that was a really lovely sound. What, tell me about your violin, it was 300 years old. Mm. And she wouldn't tell me how much she paid for it, but she said it was, it was a huge amount of money she paid for it. But, you know, that somebody could, 300 years ago, could take bits of wood and turn it into that. It was, the sound of it was just amazing. That was an amazing experience, actually. There's no guitar on that track. <laughs> this piano and my vocal and, and, and Is there string. a publishing date in mind? Early next year, probably. But it's a bit like, huh, there are certain luthier friends of mine that tell you that your guitar will be finished by Christmas. And it, and it is finished by Christmas, but it's not the Christmas you expect. <laughs> and we've, my album has been going to be finished by Christmas for the last two years. Right. So hopefully this spring, I think. We've got three, in fact, we're in the studio three days this week. Okay. Doing the final stuff, I hope. Well, not all the fact that we're going, I'm going to go back in the studio where most have been recorded is different to where we did the Harley Orchestra stuff. So we're going to finish off all the stuff we've done and then I'm going to go in the studio with, with the engineer producer in the other studio to finish off. That'll be interesting because we've done... A, a version of Sending the Clowns. I've always my oh, life I've wanted to do Sending the Clowns. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'll listen to it later on if you want. I can play it on my iPad. Nice. Yeah. And, uh, and then we, we, we did also a song called Feels Like Home. It's a Randy Newman song. I know it, yeah. We put strings on that as well. But not, they're not fully mixed yet. That was, so we're going from, we've got a version of Shenandoah with seven piece band on that. I think at least seven pieces, including me on banjo. We've got We've got Alan, on that track, we've got Alan Keary on fiddle, and his father is Dan Morrison's lead guitarist and band leader. And on that, we've got Dave Hassall on drums, who, on part, part of the drums, who is a uh, professor of whatever it is of drums at Bowen College of Music. And I played in Glasgow as well, actually, he also does stuff up there, and he's played with all sorts of people. On, you know, he turned, I know he turned down. Says Dave, he was at, he wanted to go and do Strictly Come Dancing the last oh, series okay. one one Saturday and he, and he turned it down because he got a pub gig with his band and wouldn't let them down. Uh, and then we've got Chris Hillman, uh, not the one from the Birds, Chris C. J. Hillman, who is Billy Bragg's instrumentalist, uh, and he just played with Graham Nash recently as well. He's, he's pedal steel mainly, but he plays all sorts. Uh, and he's Americana Instrumentalist of the Year this year and oh, two okay. years ago, and he's on. It was him that actually got it all together in the first place that put me in touch with the studio. Um, so he's, he's on it as well, various tracks. So we've got a lot of good people playing. Mm. And then these Halley Orchestra people. Look forward to hearing so, that. Yeah, so it's going to be quite interesting. Mm. But, but it's got, I mean, literally it goes from... When the, I did a comic club, I sat down one day on my banjo and I did a, what I thought was a very rudimentary banjo... Uh, well, I didn't... Not to record, I was just sitting in the, in the chair in the, in the outside in the main studio... I played, I did a hard, hard times come again no more on a banjo and Mark who's the producer just set a microphone up and recorded it and I said, it's all right, I like this I said, no, it's crap, that is terrible. 
so I didn't hear it for months, you know. And then we eventually, two or three months ago, we played it back, and I thought, oh, it's quite good, that, I surprised. <laughs> so he wants to put it on the album, just as it is, just me and a banjo. Totally, and there's bits of it that aren't, no, that, that aren't even really right. But it works. He said, well, it's such a contrast to yeah. having something like sending the clowns, you know, to go from that, with all the strings, then suddenly in comes a banjo, yeah. and you're just sitting there singing a very raw version of something. So it's going to be quite a contrast, really. Most of it's with it, you know, there's, there's a, a, a four, five piece, six piece. But to go up, I mean, I've been soloist all my life, apart from duos, and I've been doing songs live with a seven piece band. <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> and it was a night, actually. And Shenandoah in Manchester area, now we're everyone with the band, but we, we get to play the old people always shout out with Shenandoah, which is hilarious. We have people, and some, the guy that plays piano and guitar, Tom, said, oh, that's our hit. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you're the band that does send it. Oh, can he do send it? And everyone sings it. Yeah. yeah so, so it's been quite an interesting album. I'm not sure where it, I mean, I did it, and this album, I thought, I've got this point in where I want some of my kids, you know, that when I'm gone, this is what, this is what my father did. And, uh, uh, but it's sort of, I've got, got a life of its own, really. But we've got enough tracks for half the next one as well, I think. Excellent. And we've got to, we've got to select which ones we're going to use and which we don't. Yeah. Well, let us know when it's ready. Ah, oh, well, I'll do that, yeah. Well, I might, I could always, you could, I might send you an MP3 or something that you can, you can do a sneak preview on your blog or something. Yeah, that would be great, thank you. Well, I'm down to 3% on my battery. Oh my so. God, yeah, that's right. I'm yeah. down 3% in my health. <laughs> so, Chris Stern, thank you very thank you. much. It's been fascinating, really enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, we'll do it again sometime. Yeah. Yeah, that's one. So a big thank you to Chris for sitting down with me and, and having that chat. I'm sure they'll agree it was it was a great conversation. I really enjoyed talking with Chris and I hope it's not too long before we get to hang out again in person. There is a video version of this on my YouTube channel, which you'll find at youtube.com slash acousticguitario. So you can get to see me and Chris sitting talking instead of just listening. But of course, if listening's your thing, you've already done that because you're at the end of the podcast. So I thank you for lending me your ears. And if you would like to stay in tune with what's happening here on my channel, subscribe to YouTube because that's where most of my content's going out these days. There's going to be some tutorial footage from me. So I'll be teaching some songs and there will be some live music concert footage from the different gatherings that I attend. I've got a bunch of stuff on my hard drive from Ullapool Guitar Festival in 2019, which I've started editing and putting out. But there's already quite a lot of music stuff on my channel, so check it out, youtube.com slash acousticguitario. Thanks for listening, folks, and I will hear you, or rather, you will hear me <laughs> in the next episode. Bye for now.